Well, it never fails. Kyle always steals a little bit of my thunder. But Kyle and I did meet um, by the sovereignty of God. I'm, I'm firmly convinced of that. And Kyle be, has become one of my very best friends and a co-laborer in the gospel and has just been a tremendous blessing to me. So first of all, I want to say I'm very honored to be here because, you know, I kind of speak in a lot of churches, right? And there's not a lot of churches that I speak in that I trust the pulpit has been taken care of. It has been, there's a purpose behind it. This is where the Word of God is proclaimed. And so sometimes I just step in and I know, okay, you may not get a lot of Word here, but you're getting some today. And today, it's not like that. I know you get the Word of God from this pulpit. And so uh, I'm very honored to be able to step into this. <clears throat> I'm also very, very honored uh, because of you guys. Uh, you know, Paul, when he was talking to the Philippian church in Philippians 1, he said, he thanks his God upon every remembrance of them, making mention of them always in his prayers with joy for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And from the very first day there ever was a disciple of the nations, uh, New Life Community Church has been a huge support of that. And so you are our partners from the first day until now. And so I'm truly honored to come and be able to uh, celebrate what the Lord has done over these last few years. So for I'm sure some of you aren't very familiar with our organization, and it's just called Disciple the Nations. We are a fledgling organization still. Um, 2020 was the very first year uh, of us in operation for a full calendar year. So if somebody would have told me, hey, Dustin, you're going to be starting this new nonprofit global mission agency in the midst of a pandemic, I would have honestly tried to reschedule. Right? Um, but... This was the Lord's timing, and the Lord through all this, even through the COVID pandemic, I've seen so many ways that the Lord has been kind to us. He has been so kind. And He has not just increased us as an organization, but He's increased our impact around the globe. I can't tell you all the ways that our people who have decided to stay where they were and to suffer through this pandemic with people around the globe, how they were able to reach out in ways that nobody else was able to um, because of their uh, desire to be faithful to the Lord. So um, I want to tell you some about Disciple the Nations, and I just want to make sure you know this is not my story. This is not my cause. This is the Lord's cause. I don't want to be uh, the one that builds this house Right? The Scripture says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor to build it labor in vain. And um, I don't want to labor in vain. Life's too short. Life's too precious. So, uh, But I do believe the Lord has been building this house. And so this is His story. So as I brag, please, please know I'm bragging on the Lord. Okay. So organizationally, <clears throat> DTN looks completely different than we did when we started. Uh, we started 2020 having four people in our uh, organization, Candy and myself, and then the Finleys, I think. Can we put the Finleys up? Yeah. So there's the lovely family called Finleys. They are some of my favorite people on the planet. This is who we started with. Now, the Finleys are still working and serving in Guatemala. We started 2020 with just the Meadows and the Finleys, and we ended 2020 with 10 full-time staff, 
one part-time staff and two part-time invaluable volunteers. That was how we ended 2020. Already in 2021, we've started a ministry in two new countries and on a new continent, Africa. We have hired five new full-time staff who are in the process of raising support. And we have two different missionary candidates who should be appointed as missionaries within the next few months. Um, this will also add a brand new country to our work. And we have uh, intentions of adding a new continent this year as well. We won't be able to add continents for very long, but we're, we've almost got them all, okay? Um, we've also started some, some brand new programs, which uh, I want to tell you about. So the Finleys here, they never lost a step through the whole COVID pandemic. Um, they are working to plan a new church. They have uh, an outreach to one of the poorest areas of Guatemala City called, called Batania um, that is just doing amazing things. Um, through their work, they also train leaders at a seminary, and DTN was able to start a scholarship program where we were able to provide scholarships for 18 church leaders in Guatemala so they could continue their studies and go back and take the truth that they're learning to their churches. So, you know, when you think about training 18 leaders, what kind of impact does that, does that have ultimately? Yeah, I don't know either. And that's the amazing thing, isn't it? That's the amazing thing. When you are obedient to Christ, there's no telling what all the Lord's going to do with it. There's no telling. Um, but they've just done incredible things. I've got to hurry. So I'm, I could talk about the Finleys for seven days. All right. Um, the Salazars is next. Salazar Manrique is our new doctor in the house. Uh, just finished up his his D-men, and um, this guy, these guys have been doing some incredible things as well. He also, he's the chair of a program at a seminary in Costa Rica. Um, specifically, I'll talk about this. So, well, so in COVID, <clears throat> they, they were having a brand new church plant. In COVID, uh, through the midst of all of it, they had 22 people go through their new, new members class online. <laughs> and I was supposed to talk to him Friday, and we had to reschedule because he had about 20 others that needed to have membership interviews with him that he scheduled all day Friday. So um, the Lord is doing incredible things through faithful members of uh, DTN. So another thing that's really important here is he wrote a dissertation that will be that's being turned into two books for Latin American pastors. One will be a theology for preaching, and the second will be a how-to preach expository, expository sermons for Latin Americans. This is a huge gap. There's none of these. There's probably 12 of these books on Kyle's uh, bookshelf. There's none in Latin America at all. And so we are now, I'm trying to have, I'm trying to learn how to publish a book so that we can do this. So pray for us that we could learn how to do this and that we could do this well, that we'd have the funds to be able to make this available not just for our, our brothers in Costa Rica at that seminary, but all the Latin American places that we get to work. Uh, the Broncos are next. Um, you know, it's tough to say how to, how to pray for missionaries, but I'll just tell you this. In their country, they were forced to be in quarantine for over 200 days. Mandatory quarantine for over 200 days. And it's hard to try to love somebody when you're not allowed to go see them. And, and so we would send them money and say, you are forced to get Uber Eats and you're forced to buy a movie on Amazon. And don't think about the quarantine today. 
right? <laughs> like try to love them from there. But um, so what happened in the midst of quarantine? Well, he was he was able to uh, start a a class at a secular university there on biblical spirituality where over 20 atheists signed up to take his class. And so he is sharing the gospel with atheists in Portugal. And their church, uh, though they weren't able to meet for over 200 days, um, they're now sending out a church planner. So please pray for the, Mayra, um, the Mayrelis family, uh, Paolo and Tatiana, as they take the gospel to Alentejo region of Portugal. There is no church within an hour's drive of the Alentejo region. They are completely unreached and unengaged. The Evangelical Alliance in Portugal does not know of a single believer in the entire region. And so what do DTN churches do? They send. They say, we're not okay with that. And they're now taking the gospel to a brand new area. So please pray for these people. Uh, we have the Bolins as well that the Lord has sent us. And they, uh, Sarah just deployed. Uh, she's pictured here with her fiance. They'll be getting married in July. Praise the Lord for that. And the Lord will put them together for ministry. They're already making great plans for what they'll be able to do in their country. Um, but pray for her as she is acquiring the culture, acquiring the language, and getting ready to start her ministry there. I look forward to be able, you know, if the Lord allows, I'd love to be able to serve alongside her for 40 years. She's a very young lady and wants to live her life for the sake of the gospel in Nicaragua. And I pray we get that opportunity to do that. Uh, DT and language resources. So this is Mercedes. I think that one is right there. <clears throat> and Mercedes is a teacher. So one of the things DTN does, we do lots of things, I guess. But one of the things we do is we try to find ways where we can be stewards of gospel resources, right? Um, so I was born good looking instead of rich, right? It's my problem. But there are resources that God has. Now he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Um, you know, I, I don't think that there's an, a limit to God's resources, but I do think we're called to be good stewards of God's resources. And so one of the things we try to do is we try to to find ways to save resources so that we can send more money to the front lines. So for example, the, the average missionary that has to go take the gospel to Latin America, right? to, to, to do the language school costs uh, $14,500 for a year to get the language study. $14,500 per person. If there's a couple, it's $29,000, right? Well, we have found a way that we can provide a better quality language training for about $9,600, which would save each individual person about $5,000 as a couple would save $10,000. Why is that important? I know $10,000, you might say, well, that's not a big deal. Yeah, but we want to send a thousand missionaries to Latin America. And we want to be able to provide them with the best language they can so that they can share the gospel in the heart language of the people and now be able to send an extra $10,000 so that they can do whatever God's calling them to do to some other thing besides paying for a language study, okay? If we can find a way to, to take more money off of that, we will, uh, but that's one of the things we're trying to do. As well as with this uh, program, not only are we a service to missionaries, we also wanna be a program, uh, a resource for the church. 
So if the church in any way is looking to learn Spanish to, to start a ministry, or if an individual is looking to learn Spanish to reach out to people, uh, we would be privileged to be able to help you. So if you want to learn Spanish, uh, talk to Kyle, okay? <laughs> in English, please. <laughs> so next are the grants. Uh, the grants are raising support. Um, that, uh, they, they are in North Carolina, and uh, Cody will be helping us with operations. And I showed a picture of his wife because she is due January 1st, so the DTN family is growing. So praise the Lord for them. Looking forward to them coming on board. Next will be the Petros. Petros are an awesome family. So the guy uh, in the middle, as well as his wife that's um, vertically challenged, right there on the right, <clears throat> on his, his right, the left. Um, so that's his wife. Those two have just joined us. These guys are the real deal. Uh, they spent 25 years in the jungles of the Philippines. Like when you and I think jungles, you know, go farther into the jungle than what you're thinking. Deep, deep jungles, taking the gospel to a place that had never been before. There is now churches that are meeting today of their people group that is being led by the national people because of their 25 years of faithful service and God honoring that. And they came back to the States, wanted to pastor a church for a little bit and absolutely could not get missions out of their blood. And so have contacted us. They're going to be helping us uh, train and prepare our missionaries to be able to go. Like who would be better to train them for that, as well as for, uh, helping us with our church planning coaching for our nationals overseas. So we are very privileged to have these guys on board, and they're raising support right now as well. Uh, Madison Spong, Maddie, has just joined us as a volunteer, and she's fantastic. If, you'll, if you uh, like DTN on Facebook, you'll see that social media is picking up. That's because we have somebody that's doing it. The guy that was doing it before was terrible um, at it. That was me. Um, and she's doing a fantastic job. I love the fact that I don't even have to think about it anymore. And uh, she's doing some other things for us as well. So she's a great um, blessing to us. Another program that we were able to start this year, I'm trying to hurry, <laughs> um, was uh, a theological education program in Malawi. So uh, these are <clears throat> six guys that reached out to us and they said, we've never had any sort of theological training at all. We've never had access to theological training. As a matter of fact, only one of these brothers has ever seen a theological book. And I use the term theological book very loosely because if I told you, you would probably laugh at what book he's seen. Okay, he's only seen one. They have 21 churches that they pastor and oversee, the, the six brothers, 21 churches. Right? They have over 5,000 people that they shepherd on a weekly basis right? and have never had access to any theological training. For the 21 churches that they have in Malawi and Mozambique, they had 10 Bibles amongst over 5,000 people. They were all sharing 10 different Bibles. And so DTN supporters, you guys, um, through your support, we were able to send them some Bibles and are actually in the process of sending them another shipment of Chichewan Bibles. And uh, such a, a precious time to watch them as they open and are able to go and give these out. Our hope is our next distribution of Bibles will give them enough Bibles so that every small group leader in their churches 
will have a Bible so that when they have small group, they can at least read from the Scriptures what God has done. Right? So they... Um, it, it is such an interesting thing there, such an encouragement to me. Um, but it's, it's a privilege to be able to invest in them and for them to go and take what they learned from the Scriptures and go share it with their brothers and sisters in Christ there. I ask that you be praying for Kyle Thursday morning at 7 a.m. I don't know if I told you what time it starts, but uh, Thursday at 7 a.m. Kyle will actually be training these guys this, this week. And whatever he teaches them, they will go share with 21 churches and over 5,000 people in Malawi on next Sunday morning. Okay? So pray for Kyle because, you know, a little bit of pressure. So. Now, that's why I'm so thankful for partners in the gospel who are willing to do this. The needs are so much greater, but the laborers are few. And so when you guys are finding ways to help and to serve and to support, it makes a huge difference. So, you know, just realize the ministry that you guys are doing through your pastor will reach at least 5,000 people next week. Pretty incredible, I think. Um, so here's a, a group of people I can't show you, um, <clears throat> but DTN is starting a Bible translation program. Uh, we had some Bible translators reach out to us, and they were struggling to find an organization that was like-minded um, concerning the Scriptures and concerning uh, doctrine of the Scriptures. And um, so I'll, I'll just say this. So there's about 7,300 languages in the world, and 704 of them have a complete Bible translation in their language. That means that a little over 2 billion people do not have a completed Bible where you and I sit here and we all brought a Genesis through Revelation scriptures that we carry and mine's worn out and they don't even have access. And if they don't have access, they don't get to read of what Christ has done. And so we had this family that reached out to us. Their last names were the Cooks. And they said, would you help us go? And I said, yes. But I ask um, that you would help, uh, that you would pray for us and help us. <laughs> uh, because the things that are required to do a Bible translation uh, are very difficult and they're very expensive. Um, but we believe that we can create an arm that if the Lord wills, we would love to send lots and lots of Bible translation, translators uh, to the nations. Bible translation is one of the best ways to get into completely unreached and un unengaged areas of the world. And so this is something we're starting, um, and so pray for us. Okay. Um, we have another one that has uh, just joined us. We've, we've hired him, and he will be telling his church at the end of this month that he will be uh, raising support for to come on full-time with DTN as a missions mobilizer. Uh, he was a, a church planner in Africa for 12 years, and I look forward to being able to show you his picture and tell you his name soon. But please uh, be praying for him as well. Now, I realize that was very fast. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that as a body of believers, each one of us is called to be equipped to ministry. 
That's why God gave shepherds, why he gave pastors and teachers to equip the individuals in the body of Christ for ministry. And I'm realizing more and more how and why that's the case. Because in a local church, in a body of Christ, how do we accomplish the mission of God? And the answer is really simple biblically, and that is we accomplish it together. As each member is doing this, and DTN has probably revealed that to me more than anything else I've ever done in my life, how this thing is completely impossible. There's so many things on the back end. Do you have any idea what it takes to send somebody from the U.S. to another country to live and to work at? I have, I think I have one dollar in my wallet, and I will lay it up here for anybody who knows. I bet you don't, okay? If you have four kids, that's how you get to be able to have a whole dollar in your wallet, <laughs> right? There's so much involved. There's so much prayer that's required. There's so much, right? As, as we're privileged to be an arrow, it takes a, a whole bow to be able to send. There's so many things um, backstage things, so many people that have um, to work together to accomplish this. And, and so I, I say all that to say, this is not my ministry. This is our ministry. Okay, This is something that we are accomplishing together. And I want to make sure that you understand something. DTN does not hire people to increase our headcount. DTN does not work in such a way so that we can grow an organization. Why in the world would I want to grow an organization? Disciple the nations will not be in the new heavens and the new earth. I have no desire to grow the organization. Right? But we certainly want to advance the kingdom of God. Right? And so, please understand that even though our mission statement talks about how we partner with and equip churches to send missionaries, but DTN's ministry is really not about sending missionaries. I mean, that's part of it. That's a means, but it's not really the goal. We're not hiring staff and sending missionaries and partnering with churches in order to grow these types of things and just send missionaries. Not, absolutely not. We send missionaries because our ultimate goal is to send truth. We send missionaries because we want to send hope. We send missionaries because we want to send the love of Christ to the nations. We send missionaries because with them they take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the, of the things I've told you, there's a million things I haven't told you. I haven't told you about the relationships that each of these guys have. The Salazars have probably saved 10 marriages this year through their personal biblical counseling ministry. 10 that I know of. I don't know how many I don't know of. I know there's multiple guys here that have... Uh, relationships with young guys that they're ministering to and, and discipling with, and they're talking about porn addiction and all these things to try to help these guys live pure and healthy lives before the Lord for their families and for Christ, right? One of our families saved a baby from being sold to the black market. We don't send missionaries to send missionaries. We, save, we send missionaries to save babies. This is the ministry that you're part of. And I just want you to know what your prayers, what your encouragement is doing. It's doing far more than you know. And I just want you to get a little bit of it. I can't see my paper. 
Okay, <clears throat> I gotta preach. Let's go to First Timothy. <clears throat> When's this thing over? Seriously, what time is this over? Okay, you asked for it. All right, First Timothy chapter 3. If you would stand with me as we read from God's Word. <clears throat> this is a passage that is such an interesting thing to me. And just all week I couldn't get it out of my head. Uh, and so here, Paul, of course, is talking to Timothy. He's left Timothy in Ephesus. Paul planted the church at Ephesus, right? And on the missionary journey, he uh, witnessed to and evangelized Timothy, brings Timothy along. He includes him in the mission, right? He's equipping him as they go. <clears throat> and they get to Ephesus and he realizes, oh no, the church has gone crazy. Which is, first of all, a huge encouragement to me. Because if Paul, if the Apostle Paul can do ministry and the people still go crazy, I can realize maybe it's not me, maybe it's you. <laughs> right? <laughs> maybe you just love your sin. All right? Um, maybe all the places I've been that go crazy, that's not my fault necessarily. It might be. Right? But a huge encouragement. So Paul tells Timothy, you've got to stay. You've got to stay. Now, recognize one thing. I know I'm preaching. I'm supposed to be reading, but did Paul look at the church that has gone wayward and did he say, well, no big deal, just let them go? No. No, he said, Timothy, you've got to stay. You've got to stay. And then he writes this letter as apostolic authority, writing this so that the church would know and so that Timothy would know what they need to be caring about, right? And so he gets to this point after he's told them three chapters worth of material, and he says this in verse 14. 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. <clears throat> he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Father, help us to have eyes to see this morning what it is you've called the church to do. What is the mission of the church? Help us to hear it and help us to obey it for your namesake, for the glory of your great name so that it would spread throughout all the nations. For ask this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> so there's no way Paul looks at the church and says, ah, forget it. There's no way. And so he invests. Now, I just want you to understand, <clears throat> if Paul's church did it, please recognize the enemies that you have, all of them, will do everything they possibly can to cool you off from your passion for Jesus. It happened to the church at Ephesus, which means you and I, there's no shot for that, right? There's no Fauci ouchie that we can take to cure ourselves from this sort of stuff. I thought that would I thought that was gonna do good. Man. Maybe I just needed to wait. Everybody got it now? 
You understand that as the church at Ephesus cooled in their passion for Christ, that is a danger for us. As the church at Ephesus went wayward in their doctrine, that is a danger for us. We must not let our guard down. This is too important. So Paul, again, just writes and tells Timothy what is necessary for the church to remember and to do. It's an extremely practical thing for us. So Paul says he wants to come soon, but he wrote these things, all these things, everything he's wrote in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, the importance of the apostles' doctrine, the conduct of public worship, pastoral oversight, and deacon qualifications, all these things that he has mentioned so far. He says for this utmost thing, I say this to you so that if I delay, I write these things now because if I delay in coming to you, that one may know how they ought to behave in the household of God. Wow. Extremely practical. How we are supposed to behave. Now, he bases the purpose of our right behaving here on three reasons. Okay, The first one is because we're God's family. How we ought to behave in the, not the house of God, but in the household of God. Okay. When I was a kid, I don't know, probably I don't know, 23,000 times I was told, stop running in God's church, right? Don't run in the house of God, right? As a teenager, my mom would always say, she was kind of mean, uh, she would always say, Dustin, remember who you are, right? And then she'd say, if you do something bad, I pray God makes you get caught. Right? It's very rude. Okay? Because the point was, I was a Meadows, which I know doesn't mean much to a lot of people, but it mattered to my mom. Right? There was a way I was supposed to behave, not when I was in the house necessarily only, but how I was supposed to behave because I was a part of the family that I was a part of. Anybody have a parent, parents like I had? couple of you, right? <clears throat> the rest of you, I'm sorry. Uh, having parents like I had means they came with belts too, so maybe it wasn't so bad. But, but Scripture tells us that at the point of the new birth, when the Holy Spirit comes and grants us the new birth, we are made sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are made part of God's family. And this text says because of that, because we are members of an assembly of redeemed saints, there's a specific behavior and conduct which we must work with. The phrase, how it's necessary to behave oneself, doesn't speak here necessarily of an isolated action. Here's the one thing you need to do, right? It's like Candy and I got married one day. There was one day I had to stand up in front of people and, and right, wear the monkey suit and all that stuff. But the behavior has to last a lifetime, right? There are commitments that I've made that I am now as a part of a, this new family that I have to do, right? She doesn't share well, okay? She didn't do that well in, in kindergarten, right? There's certain things that she doesn't share. There's certain things that I'm not allowed to do. Why? Because I'm a member of this family. And it's the same way. This is not an isolated action. Here's what you're supposed to do when you show up for one hour on Sunday. No. 
This is sustained behavior that will show and reveal the very pattern of your life. This is what Paul's talking about. How you ought to always conduct yourself because of the family that you are now a part of. The second reason he says that this is so important is because he says it's the church of the living God. The church of the living God. This is whose family we're in. He's not just some God, little g. He is the living God, big G. We are His assembly. We are His group of called out ones. Now, this living God phrase is very interesting. It's used actually a lot in Scripture when I was studying it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Psalm 42.2 says, My soul thirsts for God. What God? For the living God. The psalmist says, in Psalm 84, he cries, My soul longs for God, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Now this is really important, and I'll tell you why in a second. Okay. And then Paul says the third thing, and this is the phrase I have not been able to get out of my head. But he says this household, this church of the living God is also a pillar and buttress of the truth. A pillar and buttress of the truth. It's a wonderful phrase. Now, I think it's wonderful for several reasons, but one, Paul's a great teacher, and he tells the church at Ephesus something that's going to make perfect sense to them. So at the church at Ephesus, there is um, what's called the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. This was one of the seven wonders of the world, right? That's what we think it looked like. Big, beautiful, majestic thing. This is right in their backyard. When he writes this to Timothy, and Timothy goes outside, he has to see this, right? This is set up on a hill with this giant foundation and over 40 pillars, no, excuse me, over 100 pillars that are over 40 feet high. Now, I'm not very good at guesstimating, but I'm thinking this thing is about 25 feet at the peak, right? Somebody may say, no, you're way off, and that's okay. You can, when you get to do this, you can say whatever you want. But. <laughs> so I think this is about 25 feet. These pillars were over 40 feet tall, over 18 meters tall. Right? Huge, huge, over 100. One, one scholar thinks there was 127 of these pillars. All these pillars were marble. They were laden with gold. These were incredible, incredible things. It held up an extremely heavy structure of the roof. Right? They had studded jewels on them. Now these pillars, each of these pillars was a gift from a king and represented the nobility of the one who gave the pillar. It was a tribute to the one it represented. Right? And the foundation and the pillar held up that whole structure. Now two important words. There's pillar and buttress. Pillar literally means pillar or column, right? The job of the pillar is not only to hold the roof firm, but to thrust it high so that it can be clearly seen from a distance. The pillars in the Temple of Diana were designed to lift the structure high so that it would be seen and admired by the entire world. This was actually destroyed and rebuilt three times because they wanted that architecture there to reveal how powerful and how majestic this thing was. as a worship center for Diana, for Artemis, a Greek goddess. 
The buttress is another word. <clears throat> now this word could mean foundation. It could mean ground. It could mean buttress. Or it could mean bulwark. From all of these words, we know there's one significant meaning here, and it is to stabilize and secure. Now, bulwark is a defense wall. It is often built where the sea meets the shore of a city. And this giant wall is built to protect against any sort of attacks that they might have, but specifically just from the constant attack of the sea as it tries to erode everything away. The bulwark would protect it there. The same word is used in Colossians chapter 1.23, and this helped me to recognize what it meant better than anything. Because here Paul says, when he talks about our faith, he says, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. This is that bulwark, as a bulwark, as a buttress, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, he says. So with this temple in the background, in their backyard, <clears throat> this phrase had to be just an incredible object lesson when Paul says, that is a pillar and buttress to a dead God. But the church is to be a pillar and the buttress of the living God. Huge difference. Could you imagine some master carpenter bending and spending all of his time shaping and molding and carving out some image. And then once he's done, he puts his tools away and then bows down to that thing that he spent 20 hours building. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what happens. Architects would build this great cathedral, this great building that is designed to bring honor and glory to a dead God. And Paul uses it and goes, see, just exactly like they do it wrong, the church is meant to do it right. The church is meant to do it right. There is no hope in dead gods. The temple at Artemis was a testimony to error and lies and paganism and occultic false religion, but the church belongs to the living God and it is designed to support and defend the truth of God. So listen, that's the mission of the church. That's the very heart of the mission of the church. Periodically, I think it's really important for us to just go back and remember the basics. There's so many things that sometimes we talk about, and sometimes it's good to just take a step back and go, now, why do we actually exist? And to put simply, Paul says we exist to hold up and to hold out the truth of God. That's what we're supposed to do. We don't make the truth. We just support it. We just hold it up. God has revealed it and has graciously given it to us, but we don't change it. We don't modify it. We are to safeguard it. And we are to safeguard it in such a way that we also present it so that all the world can see. So we are to preserve God's Word. We are to be a steward, to borrow that word again, of God's Word. We are to hold it firm. Now this is very important to me at DTN, and, and Kyle knows this, but there's a, a huge missions movement going on in the world today called DMM. And I, I won't bash it too bad, even though I should. I hope it dies. <clears throat> disciple-making movements is a thing. It's a great term. I love the term disciple-making movements, except what they mean by it means something really bad. 
Disciple-making movements is this idea that you could go in and hold a Bible study with somebody that's completely lost. You get 15 people in the group, right? They're all lost. None of them know anything. And the missionary is not a proclaimer of the truth of God. Their job is just to facilitate and hope that these unbelievers will actually discover what the truth is. They'll give them a page of the Bible, say, read it, now tell me what you think. Well, I think Jesus is the reincarnation of a hippopotamus. And the missionary can't correct well, I guess that's what you think. Now, the terrible part is at this point, disciple-making movement says they just planted a church. Disciple-making movement, at its core, they say, we're okay if churches only last two weeks. And then I read passages like this and go, how could you possibly think that? Does anybody hear the phrase a pillar and buttress of the truth and think it only needs to stay a couple of weeks? No. Because the church's role is not to stay a couple of weeks. It's to stay for generations. It's to stay here. Now that the gospel has made, made it this far, has taken over this ground, the church should keep it right here. We should secure it and preserve the Word of God being presented and proclaimed right here. Disciples should continue to be made right here for generation to generation to generation. I don't worry about who's going to make disciples of you. I don't. I worry about who's going to make disciples of Kyle's grandkids. That's the one I worry about. And if the church doesn't do its job, if Ephesus, if we like Ephesus, fall away, that's Paul's major concern. We're not preserving the truth of God. We must do this. And so this is why he leaves Timothy. This is why he writes to Timothy. He says, don't, don't let them do this. They must preserve the truth of God. It's designed to last for generations. Once the gospel arrives, it should stay. And then secondly, we're to proclaim God's Word or to send God's Word. To send it. We're to hold it high and to make it shine so that all the world can see. This is more than just geographically in one space. It is everywhere. It's here and it is everywhere. That's why missions is a thing. Because the very mission of the church is to hold the truth up high so that here can see it and hold it in such a way that it goes everywhere. Why? Because Christ is deserving of worship of all the nations. And so we hold it high so that all of them can see. This is why this morning, today, people from all over the world are coming to know Jesus Christ because the church has saw fit to hold the truth high and to send the truth to the nations. And so you have people from every continent that today are believing on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Somebody say hallelujah. Do you understand what I just said? I'm preaching better than your amen. And... Two of you got that. Okay. <laughs> I'm really not a scary person. <sighs> now, the church is both the means and the goal of missions. This is why I think understanding our mission as a church is so important. Because what is happening here in your church is what we want to happen there where there is no church. This is why... It's really important for us to do our job well here so that they can do it there one day. 
So what's the church's job? To invite. Those that aren't in, our job is to invite. And then once they get here, to welcome. To welcome them. Now, there's a difference between, oh, I'm so glad you're here, and actually welcoming and including them. Right? To include somebody. This is so difficult. Right? Kyle told me yesterday how you have a small group that has grown so large it needs to split. And in my head I'm thinking, oh yeah, that never goes over well. Right? It doesn't. I, I love you guys enough to tell you this, okay? But we always, we, we love these little huddles that we get into. We grow complacent. We grow comfortable. But the mission of the church is we've got to expand. You got to do it. If you're one of them that's great, he didn't pay me to say that. He's probably mad at me for saying it. I'm not going to look at him. <clears throat> but that's the deal. We must invite, we must welcome, we must include, we must equip, we must enlist, and then ultimately we must send. We've got to double. This has to happen here so that the church in Africa can do it. What do we want the church in Afri Africa to do? We want them to invite, to welcome, to include, to equip, to enlist, and to send. Right? It has to happen here so it can happen there. we got to welcome like crazy so that we can send like crazy. Provide a warm welcome and eager equipping and send with full support. I couldn't figure out a good S there, but think about Paul. This is what the church did. Right? Paul, the murderer, the guy that stoned Stephen, comes in and says, I'm one of you. And the church says, absolutely. You can't tell me there wasn't one of them's like, <laughs> no, because that's what the grace of God does. Absolutely. All of us were just like you. All of us hated God until by God's grace and mercy, He's shown the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And now we believe and we've been changed. And so absolutely you're one of us. And so they welcome Paul the murderer so that it can turn around and ultimately send Paul the missionary. That's what the church does. We've got to do that. The local church that pursues missions is a healthy church. And then churches that do not seek to take the gospel to where it's not grows stagnant. There's no way around it. We must seek to send and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, how could we have received such wonderful news about salvation through God's grace and keep it to ourselves? This is why the church is the ultimate developer and equipper of missionaries. The seminary is not designed to do this. We can't allow the seminary to do this. And so, please hear me well. You can't just be a consumer here. The church is not designed to be a place for consumers. The church is designed to be a place to equip those of you for ministry. Uh, I was talking with Shane. I don't know. Shane, if you're here, I'm sorry. I cannot see you. Apparently, you're not. Oh, there he is. Hey. <clears throat> So I was talking with Shane and Kyle at the back and we were just kind of joking around and my very first day in ministry, very first day in ministry, we had a plumbing leak and I had to roll my pants up and get in stuff that is unspeakable from the pulpit and uh, do just terrible things, right? And they were joking and, and uh, Shane said, you know, I'm the guy that moves chairs and stuff like that. That's totally it. This happens. 
Once you're welcomed and included in, you show up for three or four weeks and then hear me well. Your job is to go, see these plates? I, I, I know these things are designed for chips and dip when we do small groups, but these are my plates. I'm going to make sure they're washed, they're dried, they're put away, they're ready to go for next week so we can do it again. You take ownership. You have got to take ownership. If, you're, if you've been here six months and you still don't have plates that you clean or you still don't have tables to move, get in the game. I love you enough to tell you that, okay? That's what it's about. The job is for you to be equipped and en enlisted so that you can be sent to do something. So that you can be sent with the Gospel of Jesus Christ to do something. Now think about the church that supports and upholds the truth which teaches this doctrine right here. That the mission of God's people is to do this. To hold it high and to hold it firm. To defend it against all those who would come against it. And to show it as there's one hope for the world. And that is the truth of God. And then look at all those who abandon the truth. It's so terrible about churches that deny the inerrancy, the authenticity, or the authority of the Word of God. What existence do they even need to have? What justification do they have for staying here? I don't know. The church is called to hold up the truth. The function, responsibility, and mission of every Christian and of every congregation is to support, safeguard, and uphold the truth of God's revealed Word. His saving truth. So, that's kind of a lot. Sorry. <laughs> this is... Uh, if DTN had 50 workers today, we'd be all busy tomorrow. The needs of the world are so great. I can't even tell you. The needs of your county are so great. If You, you might be blind to it. You may not see it. But take a new route home, and I promise you'll see stuff. The needs everywhere are so great. There's so many who are dying without a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So many have never had the gospel proclaimed to them. They don't know the truth. And the world is full of it. Over 3 billion people have never heard. And over 2 billion, I said, don't even have a complete Bible in their language so that they might accidentally stumble upon it. They don't have that opportunity. To hear the gospel from a trained theological worker in the United States, you have to know 235 people. There's one trained theological worker for every 235 people in the United States. Once you leave our borders, you have to know 450,000 people. There's one trained theological worker for every 450,000 people. How's that happen? Because churches have been fine with building an entire ministry around the gifts of one or two guys. Right? That's not the purpose. Your elders aren't here in order to do all the ministry. 
They're here to move the pieces around and make sure you got something to do and you can find it. Their job is to remove all the obstacles that's preventing you from doing your ministry. And prayer and the ministry of the Word. That's their job. The church as a whole has come up with this great way to become consumeristic instead of being a part. And that's scary because I, I tell you what, DTN has one recruitment tool for more workers, for more laborers, for staff, volunteers, or missionaries to send. There's one recruitment tool we have, and that's the local church. That's all we have. I promise you, all of the laborers that we have that we will partner with to send will come from a local church. And you don't know this, but I'm praying some of them will come from here. Pick a country and let's take the gospel. One thing I want you to do, if I could make one thing applicable, I guess. I ask that you embrace reality. Because the reality of the matter is your job is to support and send the truth of God. And there's so many times we're convinced that our job is to do other things. That there's so many other things that's more important than that. And that it's just, there's not. There's just not. And so embrace that reality. That's the truth in the galaxy. Whether you realize it or not. So embrace that truth. I can't tell you how thankful I am for each of you. Your prayers and support and your encouragement go way farther than you know. I know for a fact y'all are working on trying to encourage a group of our missionaries that are in Portugal who've been in quarantine over 200 days and are desperate for some encouragement. So thank you for caring. Thank you for serving. Thank you for supporting. I hope this is the tip of the iceberg of the partnership between DTN and New Life Community Church. I hope we get to win the world to Christ together for the glory of His great name. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You. You've done so many incredible things through this sweet church, through this faithful church who is holding up and holding out Your Word. And I pray that they embrace that mission with all the more fervency in their heart, that their passion for You and Your truth and for your glory among the nations, that your glory would reach and cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I, I pray that that would just burn hot within them. And Lord, I pray that you raise up laborers to serve here in this church and also, God, to be sent from this church. That they would invite and welcome the next Paul that they'll be able to send to the nations for your glory. Lord, you do it. For your mighty name's sake, you do it. For asking Christ's name, amen.